Revelations accounts this in the heavens in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped i don't know about you but what we're doing right here is us participating with what's taking place in heaven 24 hours seven days a week on and on all throughout eternity and what i find is in scripture what we see is that when people are in the presence of a God, a presence of this God, the God that we call upon, they can't just stand around and spectate. They can't just look around and applaud in their head of that's a good song. Yeah, they, 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 they're hitting that note just right. No, what they do is they lay prostate and they say, holy, holy, holy is the God, Lord, God Almighty. Because they're struck with awe of the beauty and the majesty of this God that we're singing about. And so I, I'm so encouraged this morning because the reminders of how beautiful God is in all his splendor, how the things that I try to attribute worth and beauty to, they, they fail to measure up when it comes to God. And that what God wants for you and I this morning is for us to relinquish the things in our lives that we've placed above the scale of who God is and who we should be. That these songs, the, the demonstration of worship is simply the proclamation that God, you're better than dot, dot, dot. So I want us to, I want you all to join with me as we pray. Because I realize that right now as the saints are worshiping this God that we're in, uh, there's a level of vulnerability here. There's a level of vulnerability that the enemy is not happy that you're singing praise despite what you're going through. And so he may use this time not to hear from God, but to listen to him and to plant lies of deception in your mind that God doesn't know what you're going through, that God is not good for you. And so I want to pray right now that God would guard us, that God would guard our minds and that we would be able to hear with him, hear from him with ears receptive and hearts receptive for God to speak. Would you join with me? Father, we thank you that sometimes the greatest praise that we can give to you is to simply say glory. Hallelujah. And Father, you receive that with pleasure. Father, you're not impressed by our many words, Lord. It's the simple heart posture of saying glory, God, you're worthy. And I pray that that same posture that we have and that we've had up until now, Father, would carry into our listening and wanting to hear from you. Father, we pray against the schemes of the enemy. We pray against the lies, the deception, Lord, that we may have been believing all the way up until now. Father, would you free us from the slavery in which the enemy decide, desires to have over our lives? Would we see your instruction simply as a means of you implementing and instituting your fatherly care for your children? Father, would you open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word on fertile ground, not concerned with the cares of this world, Lord, not hardened because of bitterness or resentment towards you because you didn't do what we wanted you to do when we wanted to do it, Father, but completely open, completely surrendered to receive from you a word that would transform us from the inside out. At the end of the day, Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? Father, I'm glad that you're not dependent upon me asking you to do that because you've already decided that that's the work that you do. That's just who you are. So Father, we acknowledge that we need just that. We need you to speak. We need you to move. We need you to deal with us both firmly and gently. You know exactly what each and every person in here needs. And so I pray that you will break bread for us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, uh, I'm gonna ask y'all to remain standing from those that are tired. Uh, a couple more minutes. Uh, my name is Richard, one of the pastors here. We're gonna be in Proverbs 3 again uh, this week, specifically focusing on verses 9 and 10. So feel free to turn with me when you get there, say amen. That wasn't enough of y'all. I, I need a few more. When y'all get there, say amen. Amen. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 reads, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Amen. You all may be seated. A famous actor who in recent years has uh, earned the title the king of clapbacks, literally, uh, says this about many of our relationships with wealth. He says, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't need and to impress people they don't like. Will Smith. I find this quote so important because I think it testifies to you and I that though wealth is a resource, uh, wealth always points to the true object of our worship. Uh, You see, wealth or money, for the sake of understanding today, um, is both a treasure, but it's also one that points to our greatest treasure. You see... For those of us who may hold in high value, who uh, hold with great worth, one thing that we need to understand is that whatever you love will call it to serve it. So if you are a person who loves the applause of people, you love and you care deeply about what other people think in an unhealthy way, then oftentimes, uh, if that's the thing that you hold in greatest value, uh, when it comes to wealth, you'll try to live a lifestyle that you can't afford. It's quiet in here today, but that's okay. We're going to talk about it. Um, You see, what that does, though, is that means that when your friends invite you on vacations that you can't afford, instead of saying no to it because you want to live within your means, you just put it on a credit card. Because you're concerned about fitting in, you want to appeal, you want to appear as though uh, that, that you are good enough to fit in a crowd that can live a certain way. But I don't want to stop there. Uh, We can go into the family that if you are one that loves your kids, and I hope that you love your kids, that you will do everything that you can to build up for your children a lifestyle, a life that specifically allows them to meet a measure or level of success that you deem is worthy. So you'll build your life around your family uh, in such a way to where you'll put your kids in the best of schools. You'll buy them the nicest of clothing. You'll want them to uh, experience and have everything that can uh, ultimately prop them up as measuring up to the success that the world has claimed, which in many ways is not a bad thing. But if we make, uh, but the problem is, is that we'll often make our children the center of attention rather than just a welcome addition. But not only that, let's think of in terms of you wanting to be married one day. You finding the right partner, and if as you're pursuing that guy or girl, you have no problem um, in spending the bread in order to get ahead, right? You will take them to the nicest places. You'll want to impress them even to the point to where they feel special and valued and appreciated. Uh, But let me pause for a moment and let you know that if you have a Cheesecake Factory budget, then what you need to do is find a woman or a guy who wants you more than where you can take them. Uh, I felt this deep down in my soul, and I've got to get it off. Y'all, Christian women, Christian men, throw away that list. Uh, You need to keep the main thing the main thing. And if you think that you're too good for McDonald's, if you think that you're too good for Wendy's, if you think that you're too good for Chili's or TGIF Friday's, I think you're going to miss an opportunity of God bringing you somebody that loves Jesus, even if he can't provide you the lifestyle you think you deserve. Hey. You see, we spend on people and places that are important to us. 
that have tremendous value in our lives. But for some reason, when it comes to uh, God and money, we treat that like the division of church and state. We want to keep those things separated, and in some ways, uh, for rightful reasons, because we've been bombarded by uh, the media in telling us that all churches are simply out to rob God's people. That the church is uh, not a place of service, but all of the money that you're giving the church simply is, is intended in order to exalt and elevate the lifestyle of its leadership. I want to tell you, though, that uh, that same critique is often contradicted when crises and tragedies take place where the same people criticizing the church for what they don't do or how they're using the money are the same people criticizing the church for not doing enough. They're the same people having the expectation on the church to respond to those crisis moments, to feed the homeless, to care for the sick, to do all of those things, but yet that's not what's put in on social media or on the news. You see, some, many of us have been indoctrinated by a cultural worldview around money rather than a biblical worldview of the healthy way in which we should use money to give God the glory. How do I know this? Now, let me ask you all the question. How much of your total budget do you give to your church? I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about the church that you are in covenant commitment to. The church that week in and week out, you are sitting under God's word. You are benefiting from the community. You are, you are extracting on a regular basis from this home base that you have said, I want and believe God has called me to be here. How much are, of your budget is designated to that? But I don't even want to stop there. How much of your budget is designated towards giving to the Lord's work? Are you concerned about what God is doing both locally and abroad? Are you aware of the needs of people who have been called and sent to hard to reach places but can't go because the people of God or they don't have a network of resources in order to enable them to go into those places and spread the gospel in hard, hard regions of our world? I, I, I thought I was finished a couple weeks ago, but God, God literally told me, you know, I've got more. I want you to finish the chapter. So, so we're going we're gonna to dive in today and, 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 and bear with me because I understand that talking about money in church, there's so many opportunities for misunderstanding. And I want to put the disclaimer out for all the members of our church and letting you know that we as pastors don't know who gives and we don't know how much y'all give. So if you hear something today that pricks you, that's not a sneak this for me. That's just the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So don't come after service. Don't be looking at me side-eyed like I'm talking about you. I'm not. I'm just talking about what the Word says and calling us all into what God has called us to. Amen? Uh, let's, 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 let's dive in. I don't have much time. The Scripture opens up with honor the Lord. First point is this, that we honor what we treasure. We honor what we treasure. Uh, you know that we have a problem inherently with God has to tell us to give him honor. Uh, it, what Solomon is trying to do here is as he's writing to his son, he's trying to signal to, to his son to say, wake up, I need you to understand this. I need you to get this, that uh, I'm going to speak about a topic that may on the surface seem like some uh, practical or some topical type series or on, on giving. But in all actuality, what I want to deal with is a worship issue. What I want to talk about is where, 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 where are your hearts as it relates to God? And in doing so, what I want you to do is that um, I want you to understand that this is a very serious matter to God, and we've got to understand why, and so I'm going to break down what honor means. You see, we, we live in a culture that is probably defined as a low honor culture, where we have lost the practice of showing honor to our elders by simple things like, um, and it may be Southern, but simple things like, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. We've lost the, the, the significance of honoring our elders uh, when we come to them because we want to, uh, in our day, call somebody 40 years older than us uh, by their first name. We've, we've, we've lost this idea in our culture of even giving flowers to people who've played a significant role in our life because we wrestle with the idea of entitlement. They did these things because I deserve it. Look at me. I'm good. Like They, they should do that for me. And so what God is calling us to do is he's calling us to realize that that word honor in the Hebrew is the word kabad. 
And that word simply means that God carries this weightiness to himself. Our brother Mike talked about it this morning. It's the same word for glory. That God should bear weight on our lives in such a way that we don't live in accordance to how we think or perceive. If you read the first seven verses of of, uh, uh, Proverbs, you'll understand that the entire section of Scripture has to do with trusting the Lord with our own heart. And the reality is, is that you and I, we are prone to trust in ourselves more than than to trust in God. We're we're prone to lean on what we think is important, how we think about things, as opposed to uh, uh, what, what, what Solomon says is that we should fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And when we lean on our own understanding, the problem is, is that what we think is good oftentimes is evil. And so we need God to speak into that. We need God to show us uh, the reality of how we are to relate with him. The good thing about God is he doesn't leave, it, leave us up to our own devices. Uh, he reveals to us how he desires for us to interact with him. And so he tells us to honor him. Two implications being for us is that one, that uh, what we should be doing, which is the giving him honor in who we should be doing it for, and that is the Lord. I think for our common day, it's somewhat difficult for us to wrap our minds around what does lordship really mean? We've learned about it in church. We can recite the scripture verses of, yeah, if I confess with my heart that Jesus is Lord and, 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 and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that, that I'm saved and, that, and it stops just there. But this idea of a lordship means both to acknowledge that God should have full control or to acknowledge um, that though we don't, um, I'm sorry, uh, it's to acknowledge the worthiness of God, but also to recognize that he is worthy to be king over our lives. You see, because we don't live in a monarchical society, in a democracy, we think that we have a say in how God should operate. We think that we should be able to put, cast our hands and, and vote and tell God, well, God, I don't like it that way. See, see what, I, what we really need to do, and God simply uses the word Lord to remind us of our place. There's this danger in our society or popular thought in thinking that one can be saved and justified and yet not see Jesus as Lord over their life. This oxymoronic theology of, yeah, you can be justified and saved for eternity, but God should have no say in how you live your day-to-day life. It's contradictory to the very words of Jesus in John 14 that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, we like a grace that doesn't cost us nothing. We like a grace that allows, removes the consequences from our decisions, but we want to be in control of those very decisions. God is saying, no, no, lordship means that I have rule and reign over every area of your life. And that's why the, the, anytime you see in scripture the name for God being mentioned, that always points to something about the character of God. So when he says Lord, he's using the word for God, Yahweh. And Yahweh is always a significant name because it always points to the redemptive power of God in the lives of his very people. So when you think about what God is calling us into, into his lordship, what he's saying is that, no, 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 I want you to see yourself as a whole person. I want you to understand that you are made up of body, spirit, and soul. And in you being made up of body, spirit, and soul, that means that it's both an inward life and an outward life. That inward life is unseen to anybody but God. Inward life is the times that you're spending time with the Lord in your prayer closet or you're you're just talking with God throughout your day that nobody's even aware of because you want to have fellowship with God. That you are building up strength within your inward body. And that is the place where victories are won and battles are often lost. But not only does God want to be Lord over our inward person, he wants to be Lord over our public life. Think of your public life as the usage of your hands and your mouths and your lips, the, the things that other people interact with and other people experience. That it is to, to be seen as the classroom and the home life and your workplace and the neighborhood that you live in, uh, your friends and the relationships, but also we need to see it with, the attitude, uh, with, with our attitude towards possessions, our obligations and responsibility, and our use of time. And for you and I, if we're honest, y'all, what we have subconsciously done sometimes, and sometimes intentionally, 
is that because we have trust issues, we put up these blockades for God in certain areas of our lives. We put up these barriers that say, um, um, God, you can have all of these things, but God, I'm going to reserve this for myself. God, no, 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 you can't have this relationship. I got it. God, you can't have my pockets. I got it. God, you can't have my business. I got it. And, and, and what ends up happening is that we operate in three realities. These three realities being that one, for some of us, we're just ignorant or blind to the area that we have not fully surrendered to God. Or secondly, we may not be ignorant or blind, but we're fearful of the unknown. God, if I give this to you, what will happen? God, I don't know if I give this to you, can I really trust that you'll use it for my good? Or thirdly, uh, we're just simply rebellious. We just want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so God calling us to honor him with everything is because God knows that the path that he leads his people on as a shepherd is always for our greater good. Now, that's hard to believe when you can't see how what God is calling you into, you can't see the outcome, which is why God calls his people to live by faith and not by sight. That, that too many of us operate in the area of our finances, not from a place of faith, but from a place of fear. We think that, that, that if we just manage our money, that that is all that God is calling us to. As opposed to God saying, no, I want you to use your wealth, all your resources, your home, your family. I want to use all of that to point to me as the God who saved you and redeemed you. As the God who you say you trust. One theologian, he says this. He says that unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not at all Lord. Let me say that again. Unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Solomon moves from telling us how we are to worship our God to how we are to worship our God. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Somebody say possessions. And with the first produce of your entire harvest. Um, one of the surest signs that your trust, that your uh, surest signs of your trust in God is how you will use the resources that God has given you. Uh, we, we often get caught up in um, yeah, what, what it means to, or that word your, because we think that when he's saying your wealth, that that assumes ownership and not stewardship. He's not saying yours as if God doesn't own it anymore and he just placed it. No, no, he's saying that it's yours because God has loaned it to you. It's, it's yours because God has, uh, as the owner of all things, God has entrusted something in you or to you in order to be used for his purposes and for the advancement of his kingdom. Uh, the wisdom of the world when it comes to money will convince us uh, that because I worked hard for something that it belongs to me. It'll tell us that, man, like, yeah, your, your business is booming. Life is good. You got your degree. You, you filled out the application, sent your resume in. You got this good job now. And so now you're entitled to use your resources however you please. Uh, 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 I'm going to be bouncing back and forth from the Old Testament to New to show you that, that though we are in the New Covenant, God is still the same. And so the reality is, is that though God has given instructions to a people in Israel in the Old Testament, a lot of those same pro pro promises in the way that we interact with God has stayed the same. It's just that Jesus has fulfilled it. And so therefore, we're not working for God's love. We're working from God's love. All right. So as I'm going back and forth, I want you to see the connection between what God said in the old and what he's saying in the new. Amen. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18. He says, uh, you may say to yourself, my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant. He swore to your ancestors as it is today, meaning that you only can make bread because God gave you the means to do so. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, meaning that there is nothing that you can lay claim on. God owns everything. Uh, worldly wisdom, though, does more than just telling us that because we work for something, we're entitled to it. It tries to convince us uh, that the best way to live our lives is with self-preservation. 
meaning that um, the best way for you and I to live as people is to take the money in which God has given us and to put it away in a savings account so that it's untouchable. To store it for ourselves, the 401ks and the life insurance policies and all those different things which are not bad in and of themselves. But if we hold those things with a tight fist instead of an open hand, then all that's telling God is, God, thank you, but now I got this. It's mine. What the Solomon is trying to help us and what God wants us to understand today is that God requires that we bring our first and our best to him. Let me break that down. Um, we don't get to determine the right way in which we operate with God. I said that before, I'm going to repeat it again. Um, what ends up happening, though, is that uh, when we only see God as this powerful being and not as a father, what we forget is that as God is asking us from stuff, that he's really asking us in order to protect us from something that we can't see. Um, when God says that we should give our possessions, it's not that God needs anything from us. God is self-sufficient. Your little thousand dollars here and there does nothing for God, right? What God is giving us is an opportunity for us to be reminded that we're called to depend on him. We're called to live a life in trusting him. That us giving of our possessions is really pointing to the reality that, God, I know exactly where my possessions come from. They come from you and not my hard work. And the reality is we've got to know that we live in a physical world. Uh, there are some who would say, no, 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 um, you know, I was there in spirit, to which I would say, um, well, you need to wrap your spirit in some clothes and bring yourself to church, right? Um, we emphasize this at funerals to comfort people in saying that, no, 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 um, that body is not their home. That that body is there, but that's not the true person. The true person is a spirit. The, the reality is that the only reason why the spirit is no longer there is because that body can no longer function and operate. So, so if that is true of those things, then we need to understand that the way in which we serve the Lord is in the physical. That God gives us spiritual things as an opportunity for us to demonstrate our service and our love for him. God provides, us, uh, provides for us in the physical what is needed in order to worship him rightly. Where do we get this from? Exodus 25, 1 through 8. The Lord spoke to Moses and he tells the Israelites, to take an offering from me, you are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are, uh, you are to receive from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ramskins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx along with the gemstones for mounting the ephod and breastplate. They are to make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. In Deuteronomy, he'll say, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. But let's go to the New Testament. What does Paul say? Second Corinthians nine through seven. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for the, lo the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, God is sharing himself with you and I because he's relational. And so when we think about God We've got to understand that God is always trying to remove hindrances in our relationship with him. He's trying to avoid unnecessary obstacles that would prevent us from having true and ultimate intimacy with him. And so if, if God were to just accept something uh, uh, measly, not the first and best, then that would, that would tell you and I that God doesn't view himself as the ultimate one worthy of, of praise and worthy of highest value. How do we know this? Cain and Abel. Abel brings to God an offering of blood, an animal that was sacrificed, something costly. Cain brings to God a worker of the field, some measly weeds and some yard clippings. And what does God do? God accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's. 
Y'all ain't with me. Let me give you another one. Ananias and Sapphira. Somebody say, ouch. Ananias and Sapphira, as the entire church is selling all of their possessions, as the entire church is, is literally taking their homes and taking that profit and say, I want to give it to the church because I know there's people in need and I want all their needs to be met. Ananias and Sapphira decide, I'm going to sell a house, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold back some of the change and then I'm going to post it on IG as if, look what I did. I sold my house and gave it all to the church. And the apostle says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You know you ain't give all that money. And the, and the problem, though, is that you could have kept some for yourself. Ain't nobody forcing your hand. But what you cared about more was appearing to be godly than actually being godly. And as a result, the Holy Spirit took their lives. Uh, I wonder, let me not say that, let me not say that. Um, God may tell us something is good, but it's only good if we use it the right way. Uh, we need to understand this, y'all, that, that, that some of us, we, we found ourselves in a hard financial season. I understand that, that there are times where money is low. We don't know how we're going to get to day to day. And, and when it comes to giving to the Lord, we may be hesitant, like, God, if I give you this, I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids. I don't know how I'm going, how I'm going to eat tomorrow. And that's a very real thing. And I'm not talking to y'all from the place of, man, I don't know how that feels because I've been on food stamps for five or six years. I've been in places where, man, bills are due tomorrow, rent is due tomorrow, and I've got zero dollars in my, in my hand. And, and what I found, though, is that I've had to ask myself the question that when I, when I find myself in those hard times, why is the first thing to go my giving to the Lord? Why is it my Netflix account? Why is it my Hulu? Why is it my coffee budget? Why is it me trapped? Because if we're, if we're honest, we want to maintain a lifestyle that we're saying, God, I need to keep this lifestyle going. And so what I'm going to do is, God, you good. You don't need this anyway. So let me keep it. And we got to be careful with that, y'all. Because the reality is you may be able to trick some of us, but God knows how you're spending them dollars. You're going to have to give an account to God and our excuses will fall on deaf, deaf ears. You and I, we can give excuses to one another. We won't be able to give excuses to God who says, man, you said you didn't have no money to give me. Look at this, 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 this. It's a heart issue. And, and, and better than that, God's got witnesses. Because Jesus talks about how as he's sitting in the temple and he's seeing the offering plate go by, he sees rich people after rich people, man, loading up hundreds, stacks, racks, all of that stuff. But then he sees a poor woman come in. And all she has is maybe a little lint in her pocket and a couple pennies. She puts that in the offering tray. And God calls his disciples over and he tells her, he says, man, y'all see that? The rich give out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. That's how we should give. That's what brings honor to God. It's not about how much you have. It's about the heart behind why you're giving in the first place. God doesn't care if you can give $1,000 or if you can give $1. He loves you. He's not trying to be an added burden on your life. He's not lording over you in a dictatorial way. He's saying, no, I understand where you are, but will you trust me? Will you trust that in the entirety of your life I've provided for you? And it may not be the lifestyle that you want, but you still, as my child, I promise, you'll have all of your needs met. Y'all, y'all, I want y'all to, to, to enter into this space because I know in this church, there are people right now that are shouting in service right now today because they're trusting for God to see them where they are, not knowing where that, day, that next check is going to come from. Not knowing how they, we got people in this church that are sleeping on the floor because they can't afford a mattress to lay their head on. We've been called to live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes God will actually position you into a, this, this needy place. This needy place to say, God, my job, I lost it. God, my confidence was in that check coming day to day, week to week, and it ain't coming no more. 
God, I'm, I know you've called me to the mission field. And God, I don't know how I'm going to pay, how I'm going to even get a plane ticket to go over there, God. But I'm going to have to trust you, God. I'm going to trust that if you've called me to something, you've called me to live, a, to live the, uh, in a certain way that you're going to provide everything I need in order to live that way. He circles back to what he had previously said. In a general sense, he talks about in the earlier verses, he says in verse 8 that um, trusting in the Lord will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Let me ask you the question, where has trusting in yourself gotten you? I've I've always been amazed at what uh, verses that talk about how uh, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because we're anxious people. Verses that says that that call us into um, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Why? Because we get weary and burdened trying to do things in our own strength. How much stress do we add on our life because we just don't trust God with the matters in, of the matters of our life that He is literally at the same time holding up an entire universe with the words of His mouth, but we have a hard time trusting him with leading us in the day-to-day activities of our individual lives. God is ultimately wanting to show us that our wealth often is a key indicator of our spiritual health or how we use our wealth is a key indicator of our spiritual health. But he doesn't just go from referring back to what he had previously said. He says, let me make it a little bit more specific for y'all. He, he, he tells us this. He says um, that in giving and using our possessions uh, for, uh, and, and with the first produce of the entire harvest, he says then. Then is a word segwaying, saying, no, 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 this is, this is, and I want us to understand that, that like I said a couple weeks ago, Proverbs are not these um, ultimate truths or promises. They're simply just wisdom on ways in which God can operate. So don't take this as a promise because that's what the prosperity gospel does. It takes these passages and it makes them an ultimate truth. That if you do this, you will get this. And no, God doesn't always operate like that. But the, where the prosperity gospel uh, uh, distorts the reality uh, in a lot of ways of what God is promising us, I think it can also limit the reality that God actually does honor our faith. And that there are benefits that can come from faithfulness and trusting God in these ways. And so he says, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. What is he saying? Uh, The result right here uh, that God is indicating is one of abundance. And we don't like to talk about abundance out of fear of being misconstrued, but there is an abundant life that God wants for us. There is a life that God wants us to experience, and that's not you being a millionaire. Uh, The abundance that God is talking about is that we want, God wants for us to have all of our needs met. Y'all got to think of this in the context of when it was written. This was an agricultural society. I know we live in a day where we got banking accounts and all that stuff, so we can take what we've earned and we can store them away. And let them accrue interest and build. But when you, when you got a harvest full of wheat, you only got a certain amount of time to use that wheat. When you got a harvest full of corn, man, there ain't no pre- preservation that going to keep that corn fresh. You, you are thankful that you got what you need, but then you give the rest away to people because if you don't, it's going to rot away. You see, we got to get away from this idea that blessing means having this abundance, this overflow of, of money on money on money on money on money. Having more money than we can actually spend in this lifetime. And that's the problem with this idea being proclaimed in the world of this idea of generational wealth. Because it'll have us living for something that's simply temporary. You can't take your money with you. Your kids ain't going to take your money with you. At the end of the day, where is contentment in that conversation? At some point, when is enough enough? We, 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 we got to start, we got to let the world, or we got to let the word of God inform how we think about things more than we allow in the culture. I know what, 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 what especially in the black community, I know what the culture talks about when it's talking about wealth. And the sad reality is I see Christians who speak the same talk 
say the same things as people who don't know Jesus to promote a lifestyle that confuses your occupation with your calling. God gave you that job not simply so you can make bread for yourself. God gave you that job so you can, uh, that, that by God's grace, he may use you to be the primary investor in the kingdom work that God has called and wants to be about in this life. At, at one point, I remember this one, this millionaire, he had a multi, almost a billion dollar company. He said this, me and my wife, we, we committed early on that we were going to cap our lifestyle at a certain level. This man could have made tens and tens on millions every single year. But what he did, he said, no, we're just going to take $250,000. And what that allowed him to do is to say, no, I'm going to pay people that work under me more than me so that they would understand their value and worth to this company. And not only that, I'm going to designate the rest of that money to go to ministries doing the work of spreading the gospel to the world. And I'm just going to live a comfortable, contented lifestyle, not seeking to impress nobody else, but understanding that God's already provided all my needs so I can give the rest away. If we, only, if we only think of blessing in terms of our bank accounts running over, then we'll never be grateful people. We'll never be people that are satisfied. We'll always be running, our, running ourselves ragged, trying to make more and more and more. And again, this has nothing to do with the reality that God has people whom he's given a lot of resources to. That's a good thing. Again, it's how we use those resources. And if you can't look at your accounts and there's no sign pointing to the reality that you are giving money away instead of just hoarding it for yourself, that's a spiritual issue. And we've got to see it that way, y'all. That is a spiritual condition. You can talk the talk. You can, you, you can say all of the right things. But if we ain't demonstrating that in the physical, that no, we don't live for this life, we live for a life to come, that I'm not seeking to serve myself, I'm seeking to serve God, then there's a problem there and we've got to deal with it. Um, as we close, um, I think I want us to land in the place of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, where he tells us, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal but store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. I don't want us to be those who will be rich in this life, but poor for eternity. Because the reality is what you do on earth will dictate the quality of your eternal experience. So we're going to talk about lifestyle. There'll be a lifestyle in heaven. There are going to be people who sincerely did things for the Lord, that when we as Christians go through the Bema, the Bema seat of Christ, which is our judgment, it's not a judgment based on salvation, it's a judgment of works. And we have every work that we, with our mouth said, no, this is for you, this is for you. And they pass through the fire of testing. They're going to be some of the things that just get burnt up. No, no, you, <laughs> I know you said that was for me, but that was for you. I know in IG, you use God and you said, the Lord gave me this and all that stuff. But in your heart, no, 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 no. That was just about you. You built up for yourself your own kingdom, which is why you only fellowship and you hang with people that can ultimately profit or further your business. We about our kingdom so much, so many, so much of the time. And the Lord is saying, no, let me care for you. The, the last, I wasn't even going to get into it. We're going to spend some time with that later. The Lord talks about the discipline of the Lord. That when God is pricking us sometimes, it's to get our attention because he wants to protect us from danger. I tell my kids, don't put your hand on the stove. It's not because I'm just being a jerk. Because I don't want them to touch it and get burned. And if you think that money is innocent, it's not something to like be afraid of sometimes. Not in an unhealthy way, but not something to have precautions. And you've missed the scriptures that tell us of the traps that the love of money can have in our lives. It's deceptive. So what Jesus is doing for us, when we look to his life, man, it's just like, man, like God, how did you honor the Lord? Jesus, how did you honor 
the Father. And we see this difference between, like I said, Jesus showing us the difference between occupation and calling. That it was Jesus, a carpenter, a worker of wood, someone who used wood to shape and to sculpt into something beauty, into beauty and something that ultimately would serve others. That this very same Jesus, uh, uh, though he was a carpenter, that was simply a tool for what God ultimately had called him to. That he would build his church on his faith. That he would be a person who redeemed the sins of you and I. That he would be that Lord and that Savior that, that, that would... That very wood that he shaped with his hands and he worked with would be the wood that God provided in the shape of a cross. And it would be that cross that Jesus being used to forming, that God would put Jesus on that cross with one hand, one arm stretched and another arm stretched and his feet uh, clinked together. And that God would form him into the very, into very thing that would pay the penalty for you and I's sins. That this Jesus was the one who was completely dependent upon his father, who offered the first and the best. Paul says that he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That this Jesus, though he didn't have a bust down rolling, though he didn't have a, 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 a banging real estate portfolio or stock portfolio, this Jesus said, I'm going to give you my first and best, which ultimately is my very life. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, Step by step and moment by moment, even when I'm on the cross, even when I'm on that cross. And I cry out to God and get no response. Jesus is telling you and I, I gave up everything for you. And God's response to his offering was three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in all power and glory so that you and I could live a life of freedom. Some of us are in bondage and we don't even know it. Luke 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan and one of the temptations that Satan uses says, look at all these kingdoms and their splendor. You worship me, I'll give, I'll give them to you. Not only that, I'll give you all authority. What are the things that, Jesus, that Satan is trying to add to Jesus' life? He's trying to point to Jesus and say, I can provide you with a dignity and a significance greater than you possess from God. And you don't have to worship Satan by dressing in black, by drawing a pentagram in your room and saying seances. You can be a worshiper of Satan simply by living a life that is built around your pleasures instead of your purpose from God. Satan doesn't care if you acknowledge him as your Lord. He just wants you to live the way he wants you to live. I want to invite us into this time. I understand this is a heavy, heavy topic. And I don't want to move too quickly past that. I want us to sit in that for a little bit. Sometimes conviction and weightiness is good for us. Because when you leave these doors, every advertisement, every probably social media post, all those different things are going to bombard you with a lie that speaks against what God has said in his word. And so we need to take the time and really we're going to open up the altar and we're going to invite us all to say, man, God, deal with me. Do I need to repent for the way that I'm treated? you, your people, for the way that I've used money to serve me rather than serve you, for the ways that I've thought I, that the best life is for me to keep what you've given me rather than to give it away. It starts first with our confession. That is the pathway towards healing, being honest with Dag. Man, Lord, I was blind. Dag, Lord, I was I'm tripping. I don't want to live like that. So I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come back. Those who have been asked, pastors, leaders, ask you to come to the front. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. Service is going to end a little bit different than uh, before. Um, we're not going to have, you know, another time where we come back on stage and dismiss y'all. Um, we're going to leave the time open. So if you have to leave, you have to get your kids, feel free. We just ask that you be quiet as you 
um, exit the sanctuary. And uh, the benediction will be on the screen. So uh, let me pray. And I ask that you all would stand. Um, and as the worship team comes, if you are desiring to come and get prayer, feel free to come up. Don't be afraid. This is between you and the Lord. Um, and we will, yeah, we want to serve you um, and pray together as we both, we all need help. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the ways in which you um, can be trusted because you're truthful with us. You don't spare our feelings sometimes because you know that um, what good would it be sparing our feelings when we're inflicted with um, a great sickness? Where your redemptive work is a process, Lord, that yes, you have saved us, but understanding you and living out your lordship in our lives is sometimes a part of our sanctification, Lord. So we don't always see the areas, Lord, that we're restraining you from. From touching. We don't see the ways in which we've kept you at a distance or kept you at bay out of fear, Father. And so I pray that you would deal with us right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to step forth and to declare um, that, Lord, we need your help. To declare that this, this ain't got nothing to do with nobody. I can't care about what anybody's going to think. I can't be ashamed of the fact that, man, I've gotten myself in a whole hunk of mess, Lord. That I'm in debt after debt after debt. But, Father, today can be the day in which you, um, that you are allow the Lord to bring restoration in your life. That doesn't mean the removal of consequences, Lord. That just means that, Father, you're, that we are acknowledging, Lord, that, Lord, we've messed up and we want to get right. We want to walk in step with what you say, who you say you are, and what you say about yourself. And, Father, you'll never be a God that looks at us with sarcasm or looks at us with, with contempt, Lord, because we've messed up. You're the Father with open arms, Lord, that just gives us a warm embrace and lets you know um, that how proud you are of us, how much you love us. That's what pleases you, Lord. Be with us as our, during our time as we worship. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.